Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Molo Sanbonani, hello, how's it? Welcome to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty. And of course, there is uh, our wonderful co-host and uh, the ever-radiant. And uh, of course, I'm looking forward to, to hearing insights from Sora Khan. Sora, good morning to you. Good morning, Shikle. It's a, a combination of weird. And at the same time, I'm very glad that I'm not on television because I dressed for sitting in my lounge. I will not mention where I am. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I can tell you now, it, it does feel, unfortunately, and we'll, we'll get into this, of course, in the show. Remember, we always begin the show with a, an analysis of the news week that was, you know, what, what made the headlines? What, what have you been tracking? What's been interesting? Um, and of course, after our first major break, we introduce our very special guest who we're going to be having on the show, Mr. Roman Kabanak, the host of the Morning Shot uh, podcast on YouTube. He'll, he'll provide all that information as to how you can uh, follow and watch the show. We'll have that after the break. And of course, we always end off with looking at, um, you know, the news week ahead. You know, what should you be paying attention to? And I do believe, Sarah, that the only issue really <laughs> dominating the headlines right now um, is the coronavirus and specifically the state's response to it, um, which last night seemed to have taken quite a, um, could, could one call it an Orwellian turn or, or am I being too dramatic yet? Yeah? And I think Orwellian is about right. I mean, we are essentially, give or take a, a, an issue or two, the whole world is largely doing what we're doing, and that is going into lockdown. I mean, this is the mm. stuff that uh, sci-fi novels are made of. Um, and in a way, you know, we're, the good news to a large extent is that I think the government mostly has announced the right things and has taken the right approach to slow down the virus, which, uh, which is by all accounts the best thing to do medically. Mm, um, and, we, and we're in exact, pretty much a position as the Australians and New Zealanders and the Brits and I mean, the idea of a lockdown in, in Los Angeles or New York just boggles the mind, but there you have it. Um, We'll, I'm sure we'll get to the issues of a little more concern that are more concerning in the sense that they are a continuous, continuous play of our normal politics. Hmm. But uh, at the meantime, I think, the, you know, white monopoly capital is putting billions into the <laughs> solidarity fund. And, uh, you know, nice to have them around when you need them. Absolutely. And, and, and perhaps that, that's the, um, that's the lens through which we can look at, uh, this response. It's almost the good, the bad, and the ugly. So insofar as the good, uh, I think it's spot on. Um, kudos where it is deserved. The state has been very responsive, um, in basically saying, look, what we don't want is, um, Actually, you know, before I finish that thought process, let's take our first ad break. And after that, we'll look at exactly that, the good, the bad, mm. and the ugly. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Guys, welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty. And, of course, we are in conversation with Sarah Gunn. Excuse me, we have joined 
on the show by the other half of the show, Sarah Khan, and we will be in conversation, excuse me, with Roman Kabanak after the next break. But um, before the break, I did mention that, you know, um, the show is almost solely devoted to an extent to the coronavirus ep- epidemic and specifically the response of governments across the world, not just the South African government. And you can argue perhaps that the response can be viewed through the lens, um, almost like an old Western movie, isn't it? The good, the bad and mm. the ugly. And insofar mm. as we have prosecuted the issue of the good, it's been... Um, to give kudos to the South African government uh, for its speedy response in um, uh, insofar as the health element of it, you know, getting the NICD, um, which, you know, tracks communicable diseases in South Africa, uh, involved very early on. The health department's being quite open and transparent in its communication, by and large, with the public, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, all the various role players from the media and um, even social media characters, you know, your vloggers. Uh, I'm going to give them a shout-out, too, <laughs> Um, for being quite open and um, passing information mm. along. Um, mm. But it, it, it does bring us then, Sora, unfortunately, to the bad. Um, can, I, can I perhaps come in yeah. there on, uh, perhaps, uh, on a question mark? I see that SANEF has, uh, is asking the government that journalists be, exe- be part, exempt from the uh, lockdown so that they can report on what's, re- on what's going on. Um, and one couldn't look at this where one is an oversight, which I'll give yeah. you might well be the case. And if one wants to go the conspiracy theory, which it's, uh, um, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, I do believe journalists are exempt. Um, I mean, I was looking at the... Yeah, okay. um, there is a... Um, sorry, as I maybe quickly talk, I'm going to try and bring it up. So there were various categories uh, of individuals. So after the president made his announcement yesterday uh, that the country is now going to go under lockdown, um, there are quite a few exemptions uh, included in that, including, for example... People who are, you know, deliver, who are part of the supply chain of delivering food to outlets and of course retailers, pharmacies and the like. I do believe journalists, um, or at least what they can call, um, the media. Sorry, my voice is staggered because I'm literally searching for this as I talk. But in any event, um, it's individuals who are considered to be in the media, um, providing that sort of role, um, are also exempt from this. So I do believe um, I mean, they go as far as to say even online media. So technically, you know, your vloggers um, mm. and your social media characters should be exempt. But let me not um, infer too much into that. Um, but, okay. but, you know, the, the sort of train of thought I wanted to go into, um, uh. insofar as the bad and the ugly, so to speak, is mm. the potential risks around this of now having a situation where soldiers... Um, are going to be on South African streets, you know, in conjunction with the police, um, you know, effectively locking down um, society. Now, my biggest concern is that I don't believe necessarily that we have the most professional um, mm. outfits in our security forces. And I say this because the, 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 the record of history, insofar mm. as, uh, you know, not only back in apartheid days, but even today, I don't think we've done enough work um, to modernize, really upgrade, and professionalize our security forces. So my only concern really is now having to, you know, now having to be in a situation where these individuals are deployed on the streets mm. um, to do what is actually quite a complicated thing. 
Um, mm. No, locking down a country is not an easy, easy, um, um, uh, you know, task. I mean, you, you, yeah. it, it opens up all sorts of doors to potential um, abuses Abuse. of of, mm. of civilians. Well, we concern the IRR is putting uh, is, is finalising a, a detailed policy paper, and one of the threads that runs through the paper is the fact that the um, that we we're concerned that the wheels of government services are really going to come off uh, come off because as as uh, Franz Cronier says, uh, the government is not responsible for the virus, but it is responsible for the fact that we are ill-prepared economically and and service-wise to sustain anything. That has to do with the way we've been governed for the past 10, 12 years. And I think the, uh, I mean, we have a, a virtually dysfunctional uh, army and, and police, and, and uh, I think they are going to have to give the uh, private sector security um, industry more leeway to, to assist because... I, I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not optimistic about the government's uh, capacity, shall we say? Yeah, and I, what I do, what I am genuinely encouraged by, and this maybe goes back to the good, is the the almost admission by, of that by the state. Um, mm. Cyril's speech was was very good insofar as uh, that is Cyril Ramaphosa. The president's speech was very good in that it actually. Uh, it, tacitly admitted that, you know, they cannot do this alone. Um, and this brings me back to that, that point I was making now. You know, the critical businesses um, which will be allowed to continue during the state of this lockdown include your food and essential products related to, of course, the manufacturing and the processing and the distribution of those, you know, people who uh, produce your food, beverages, uh, those who warehouse it, the ports, the roads, and of course the food outlets, uh, will remain open. And of course in this particular instance, they mentioned that, you know, they'll be look, um, uh, watching out for price gouging and, and, um, overbuying. And where I was going as before we go to our break is, you know, the enabling services, healthcare, call centers, professional artisans, cleaning, laundry, hotels and as you are asking, Sarah, communication and media services on screen, TV, print, radio, broadcast, and online will be allowed to operate. So it does cover those individuals and, of course, for the rest of us to work at home. Guys, as we head to our next ad break, after the break, we're going to have Mr. Roman Kabanak, who is the host of the Morning Shot podcast. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Mono San Bonani, welcome back to the IRR show. As I mentioned before the break, we are joined, um, I nearly said in studio, a creature of habit, um, <laughs> but we are joined on the show by Mr. Ramon Kabanak, who is, of course, the host of the Morning Shot podcast. Again, I really encourage um, all the listeners to, to tune in to that. It is on YouTube to search uh, the Morning Shot, but I'll let Ramon himself um, let us know how we can find the show. Firstly, Roman, hello, hello, good morning. Uh, good morning, Sihle and Sarah. Very good to be with you, and thank you for your kind invitation. Hey, man. <laughs> it's a great pleasure. Um, I, I think this might be particularly pertinent, A, because you are, a, I guess, a sort of social media star, and B, is uh, this is politics. We, you can, we can pick the conversation up as we go. But can I ask you a question first? Um, you are a lawyer. Um, I was a lawyer. Um, we both seem to have striven our striving for 
more exciting and interesting uh, ventures. How did you get what made two things? What made you go into the social media um, um, arena, and how did Renegade Report come about? Because it was unique. Right. Uh, well, yes, I, I am a, an attorney, but it's 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 a good job, but it's not terribly interesting. And I've always been interested yes. in politics because politics <laughs> really shapes the nation that you live in. Uh, so Renegade Report started four years ago. Uh, under the banner of Cliff Central, which is Gareth Cliff's um, online platform, and since then it has grown substantially, and now it's uh, you know one of the top podcasts in the country, and we've had uh, you know big guests, Helen Zeller, Jordan Peterson, David Benatar, whoever you think we probably had them on, um, and then most recently I started a daily YouTube show called Morning Shot, where I analyze uh, the news of the day and release a video every day at 7 a.m. on YouTube, a short five to ten-minute recap and analysis of the news. Can I ask you again, your your colleague, your partner on the Renegade Report is Jonathan Witt. Um, how, how did you sort of work to becoming a duo, almost like a sort of Laurel and Hardy of the political podcast scene? Well, I'll, I'll uh, have to find out who the Laurel character is. But uh, I, I actually met uh, Jonathan Witt on Twitter, um, and I met uh, Gareth Cliff on Twitter as well. So someone actually just told us, you two keep fighting on Twitter, just have a podcast together, and so you can fight in public, because it will be entertaining. And uh, we thought that was a great idea. I went to Gareth Cliff, he said, fine, I'll give you five episodes, uh, but no one will listen to it, because you're boring. Um, but within the third episode, we were very... Uh, highly rated at Cliff Central, so we just uh, stuck with it. So it was it was by chance and a bet on Twitter, to be honest. Um, well, it, it does. Sorry. It, yeah. It, it uh, does, um, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. No, no, I, I go ahead. Say, um, it, it does begin, or it has begun rather, a to explode this industry of of, of people online beginning to voice their opinion again, moving away from having news, opinion, and analysis being centralised by. Um, you know, traditional media, who by and large, you know, it must be said, there isn't much in the way of intellectual diversity in our traditional media. So, um, Ramon, I'm going to put a, a direct question to you. When you guys started, did you foresee um, that the show would be contrarian to a large extent um, to what people usually consume in the, in the traditional media? Uh, was it an outward goal of your, of your guys to do that? Or was it just something that just replicated who you guys generally are. Uh, well, okay, I do apologize. My daughter is home from school, so she might chip in every now and again. Uh, oh, I have questions cool. for her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she will say I'm an excellent father, so if you do ask, and we've been training for all morning for that question. Uh, no, but seriously, on to your question. Uh, the Renegade Report was really, I mean, I was into podcasts for the past decade or so I've listened to most of them when they came out as a medium it really came out in force I would argue around 2010 2011 with Serial Serial was the first narrative driven podcast and that was downloaded hundreds of millions of times around the world and since then there's been a bit of explosion and Gareth Cliff took the big step to become the podcast you know head honcho in South Africa but as for us, it was always going to be contrarian. I've always had uh, strong views on things, and I was never afraid to share them, especially on 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 Twitter at the time. Now I'm a little bit more more uh, relaxed about them. But it, it was always going to be um, 
very opinionated uh, and very strident in what it believes. And that hasn't changed at all. Uh, but now uh, I don't think it was the catalyst for the opening up of the alternative media space by any means. But if it was, uh, that's very good. But it wasn't our intention to really open up alternative media. It was just a a new and interesting way to get our views into the social ether. I get, I get the impression. I mean, I, know, I understand that uh, the, the Daily Friend, which is the RR's online uh, newspaper, uh, had its origins in an idea you put to uh, to France Cognier. But our, our move was, was very deliberately to create an alternative space, to pick up from what has come before and to create an alternative space for classically liberal, in the in sort of, let's say, centrist, uh, centrist uh, views. Um, because there is so so much is, is either politically correct or, or just plain plain work. Um, we've had the sense, and I assume you have too, perhaps you can comment, that people almost sort of burst out of the shadows to hear that view, to be able to express the fact that somebody was expressing their views and previously it had, this had not been the case. Yes, so um, th- this is what we would call like the gut liberal instinct, right? That mm-hmm. most people actually do share, uh, you know, the the centrist pragmatic views that we have, but there's no medium or enterprise that can validate those in public, so they just remain quiet. Um, maybe that is the case, but I mean, I mean, Reagan Report is is popular. Don't get me wrong, but it's certainly mm-hmm. not as popular as Seven O Two or mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. High FM, perhaps. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, variance and and contingencies in place in terms of the price of data, in terms of podcasting mm-hmm. not being understood very well in the country. But it will come with time, mm-hmm. and I think the future of media is actually finding a niche, no matter mm-hmm. how small. And mm. really exploiting it rather mm. than trying to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm. No, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm not sure if Sickly has, has disappeared or not. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Sorry, I was just reading some, <laughs> some articles that came through, um, such as our lives now in isolation, you know, stuff. Uh, um, you know, because we're not around people, it's, it's the pinging from your laptop or phone that's now become a, <laughs> hey man, look at this. Um, Roman, I'm, I'm going to zoom in a little bit on, on, on particular issues now because I think um, your, your podcast has been very, um, shall I call it, controversial and controversial in a good way. And so far as you prosecute issues that ordinarily you would not hear on traditional media, uh, you guys have had some very interesting guests historically, and of course. Uh, with the sort of guests you sometimes bring on, um, you know, you invite all sorts of labels, uh, you know, the right wing, the, the crazy racist, um, podcast, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking, of course, about the, the Renegade Report podcast. Um, and not so much the, the Morning Shots one, which is the, your new podcast. Um, talk to me about that. Why is there a fear, uh, in, uh, and it's not just confined to the traditional media. I mean, you have politicians sometimes chirping about, you know, uh, our, our podcast, uh, <laughs> And, and, and the sort of guests we bring on. But why is there a fear of, you know, bringing on alternative thinkers, different thinkers, and even thinkers who are on the right? Um, you know, are, are we not giving into this culture, this PC culture of, quote-unquote, deplatforming people? Well, to, to me, the, the mainstream media uh, and the 
relationship the mainstream media has with politicians and political power generally has always been a type of game. You sort of have to be friends, but you sort of have to hold it accountable. It's a bit fluid. And there were rules in place for that type of engagement. Alternative media, there are no rules at all. The rules are you, – you define the rules as you go along. So uh, we got into trouble for having Steve Hoffmeyer on our show a few years ago. Now – Steve Hoffman, despite whatever you think, he's an important figure in South Africa. He has a, a wide array of fans, and people do listen to what he says. And we brought him on our show, and we vehemently disagreed with him. And we had a really good time doing so, and he was very gracious, and we were very gracious. And it was a good podcast. It was about people really disagreeing about fundamental principles. Now, if we were banned from having Steve Hoffman on our show... I would not know what he believes. I would not know what his fans believe. Um, and I think it's very important to speak to those people that you might disagree with, of course. Bring them on and have a robust conversation. That's how you not solve problems in the world, but that's how you progress in the world. Steve Hoffman is not this, um, you know, this, this really, uh, forcrumped uh, racist who hates black people for something. No, he has weird views. Um, he seems like a decent guy. I know. A few of his friends who say he's very bright. I know a few of his friends who say he likes to do publicity stunts. Let's get to the truth. Let's have him on and let's talk because he does represent a fair demographic of the country and those people should not be excluded or felt, or to be felt like they are being excluded because that's where sort of extremism can arise from. And talking about sort of deplatforming, you, you, you interviewed what probably one of the most deplatform cancelled Rich, now rich, uh, social media star, Dr. Jordan Peterson. What was the experience like? So, uh, uh, most of us have watched a number of uh, videos and listened to a number of podcasts with him on. So we got him, we got him fairly early. So he, he, he came onto our show in early 2017. He really blew up at, on late 2016. And on our show, we watched previous interviews with him. Um, on, on, he was on Joe Rogan at the time and Sam Harris. And we tried to delve into different areas that he doesn't speak about. Um, and you talked about uh, the left not wanting categories, the right liking categories, and how you must sort of deal with these fundamental different um, views of the world together. So that was very good. It remains our most popular podcast. But then we had him on a year later where he debated David Benatar, who is a mm-hmm. professor of philosophy at UCT, and they debated antinatalism for an hour <laughs> and a half. It was it, – it, um, it was – very, very interesting. Uh, we just basically said, hi, David, this is Jordan. Jordan, this is David. Fight. And it just happened. It was really good. Um, and that was also very popular. And But since then, I'm afraid he has an agent and a few other people. You know, He has a team, and now to try to get to him is a lot more difficult than it used to be. So we'll know we can't get to you. Uh, by then, you will have a team. You will be rich and famous or heading there. Who, me? No, yeah. no, I won't be rich or famous. In South Africa, people don't like, uh, people don't like alternative views too much here. Not as much as overseas, I'm afraid. Um, not so that. Speaking about the alternative views, one can't have that conversation without therefore segueing to a conversation about free speech. Now, on my show, the Big Daddy Liberty Show, I, I've perhaps made this the theme for the last two weeks. Um, with the last two guests I had, I had Jeremy Nell, Germ, who I'm sure you, you know very well, and of course the week previous to that, David Bullard, um, someone who, Sarah, we are very, um, 
uh, aware, uh, 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 acquainted with Trump. <laughs> um, now, the conversation really spun around this idea that are we seeing a, a gradual grinding away of the the right to speak freely, to to think freely, to think dangerously even in some cases, um, and to express that in a uh, a you know in a free society? Are we losing this right to what I believe is two fundamental groups here? Um, one is on the left, who is immersed in the language of you know social justice. Um, and you know intersectionality and all these sort of critical uh, theory no, ideas that create a hierarchy of who can speak and when and how, um, and even on the right, which protects um, you know certain traditions, um, and because of that protect, protective nature, will argue that you can't speak against it. A, a good example is a uh, in America, for example, the one Colin Kaepernick a former NFL football player who decided to take the knee during the national anthem, taking the knee, of course, being an act of saying, I opt out of this. Um, and the right mostly lost their minds and demanded all sorts of, you know, oh, let's ban this guy, let's get him fired and blah, 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 blah. So there's definitely an assault on free speech and freedom from both the side. But what are your views? Uh, so I think free speech has been under assault since time immemorial, to be honest. It's only been a, a real value for the past 300 years or so, uh, an enlightenment value. Um, there's a difference between, you know, calling Colin Kaepernick a racial name because of a something he does. I don't think that is necessarily going against his free speech, so to speak. I, there are consequences to it, but it really depends what cult you belong to. Do you believe identity is the purest thing in the world or do you think the nation or Donald Trump or whatever tradition is the most important value in the world? And obviously you will attack those who don't agree with you. It just really depends on what cult you're looking for. In South Africa, for example, I think it's a little bit more surreptitious. I know that Ivo Werther recently joined the Daily Friend as a, as a columnist and I spoke to him about it and he said he's, he wrote for the Daily Maverick. Now, I don't mind the Daily Maverick. They do good work. But he said, recently, the past few months, every time he put in something or put in a, a column, it used to be slightly edited, slightly changed, and he, and he didn't really understand why. Now, that is not really a curtailment to free speech. The Daily Maverick is a private platform, and they can do what they want. But if you pay someone to write for you, and you don't really explain to them that uh, you have to follow a certain line, that curtails free speech in a way as well. So he has to find an alternative platform where he can truly express himself. And I think the corporate media in South Africa really follows that rule to the T. It was interesting to see Adrian Besson, the editor of News24, uh, talk about the, the Hitler salute at Poch from like 2014. And he just mm. recently brought it up. But then he had Gabor Lamini, the famous four criminal. <laughs> Now we can say that word. Uh, he praised Hitler numerous times, and he has written for News 24 until a month ago. So there are no principles in, in corporate media for the most part, and the free speech stuff is really determined by the zeitgeist of the day. So I'm more worried about uh, the states, especially with the criminal area. I think it's using that to really um, jail people who shouldn't be jailed uh, for using mm. racial epithets. But mm-hmm. I never, ex- but, the, but the internet has really opened it up and allowed people like us to leverage our freedom of speech uh, without having, uh, you know, borders or, or people or mediums in between us 
our message and our audience. So I'm not terribly worried about that. I'm just worried that the state might come in with the that hate speech bill that they've been promising forever, and that will be a real curtailment. Um, Roman, let's talk about, uh, sorry, can I, can I just ask you about, before we go to our next break, a morning shot. Other than having the coolest logo, and uh, I'm, I'm jealous about that one. Whew, so cool. Um, what, what made you start it? It's what, four, five, ten minutes daily on what's in the news? Uh, indeed. So I take two or three stories of the day. I um, make a video about it and I give my analysis on it. And I'm very happy after the break to explain the latest one because I think it will be a big story um, coming up today and tomorrow. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to head to a short ad break. After the break, we finish our conversation with Roman. It's the last 10 minutes of the conversation. And, uh, yeah, we find out what the morning shots will be are planning going forward. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. See, I think Sifle has delved into his uh, reading material again. Raman, you were going to tell us about your latest morning shot um, right. episode. So, so now that we're in lockdown, there, there, there has to be a quid pro quo from the state to enable mm. small businesses and entrepreneurs to deal, or, and employees, of course, to deal with the lockdown. It's 21 days of not earning an income for mm. millions of people and tens of thousands of businesses. So I agree in principle with the lockdown. However, the mitigation factors are very underwhelming. Basically, mm. what uh, the ANC has done is outsourced the funding model to oligarchs and the private sector. So mm-hmm. the, the Rupert and Oppenheimers are giving money, which is mm-hmm. fair, and I applaud them for doing so. The Solidarity Fund is to be funded by anyone in the world. Right. And, and then, interestingly, 500 million rand has been set aside for small business development and this mm-hmm. will aid small businesses during the lockdown. But if you do go to the website yes. and you look at the application form, the application form asks you directly, what is the race of the owner of the company? How many employees are foreign nationals? Uh, how many employees are disabled? What is the race of the employees? All that, all that, all that. So even in times of crisis, the ANC is yes. unable to detach itself from its very racially nationalistic-based mm. ideology. And that, to me, shows that this crisis will not redefine or reimagine the ANC as we know it, I'm afraid mm. to say. And it's a real pity, because I think it could. Uh, I, I yeah, certainly think um, this is an opportunity. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I, I just want to say, you lost me there for a moment, but I'm back. Um, yeah, look, I, I think that there is a real danger um, currently because, you know, there is that wonderful idiom in politics that, you know, one should never let a good crisis go to waste. And in this particular instance, we are seeing, um, and I'll tell you where I'm coming from with this, but let me first make a statement. We are seeing a, an attempt to push ideology, to push and inculcate um, the current sort of racial nationalist ideology that has seen uh, the ANC much like it saw the Nats during apartheid and much like it saw the colonial government back in the day argue that our society ought to have winners and losers based on race. Um, or based on a certain grouping who are the insiders and, you know, largely an outsider made of, um, invariably mostly black South Africans, to be brutally honest. But, um, even to this day, um, and where I'm coming from in this particular context, I just read a, a citizen, uh, newspaper basically 
arguing that the, the, the screenshot that's been going around on social media suggesting that the state is only going to accord um, SMME relief funds to companies that, you know, sort of followed all sorts of criteria, most of them racial. So, for instance, mm-hmm. 51% black-owned, 70% black employees, and the like. One can go down the list in terms of what was seen in this particular screenshot that had the Department of Small business uh, logo on it. Um, the, the department apparently, according to the Citizen article, has um, disavowed this and said, no, this is not from us. Um, now, I'm not entirely sure if that's 100% true. I mean, one could find that it is a consequence of perhaps the backlash that made them see them sort of walk it back, or maybe it is fake, um, because that is a real issue, right? Fake news, uh, yeah. don't get me wrong. Um, but it does speak so, to, regardless of if it's fake or not, and I'll, I'll bring you in just now. Yeah, yeah sure. sorry, Roman. So just to interrupt, the screenshot is fake, uh, as far as I'm aware. It's not available on any website of the government at the moment. It's okay. unknown, I, but the, the, the principles of that screenshot are, are displayed on the website the when, you appli- when you apply for state funding. Yes, that's, okay. that's, and that's essentially where I was going, um, to, to, to raise the specter that it very much could be fake, but um, its fakeness was hinged upon the consistency of what the state usually does. When it comes to who it accords state goodies to, you know, usually invariably along racial lines, and of course consistent with policies such as uh, black economic empowerment and affirmative action, which are racially nationalistic in their approach. But, uh, Ramon, what I wanted to put to you was, um, you know, a lot of South Africans are very scared at the moment, obviously, for very obvious reasons. And um, I do believe those of us who play and work within the space of alternative media and social media um, also have a responsibility in spreading um, accurate information and, and an analysis which is fair. Talk to me about your particular approach in this. Well, what do you go through um, as a quality check, if you will, before you put something out? Well, I just look at the sources. Um, and so that screenshot was sent to me numerous times uh, during the course of last night. But that website uh, for the SMMEs only went live at midnight, but it actually only went live at 1.30 a.m. this morning. So I waited until then to look at the website and look at the application process before I made my video on that. Uh, but I look at the sources. I look whether it's been uh, verified on any other mainstream platform, and I see whether there is real evidence for the story. So I'm, I'm not a journalist. I've never trained to be a journalist. I don't proclaim to be a journalist at all. But I follow what I believe is the, the ordinary rigor that journalists should um, should use when when using when creating stories or reporting on what is happening. Um, but I, I certainly, first of all, I doubt everything. I try to find something that proves or disproves something. And if I'm unsure, I don't talk about it at all until I'm absolutely sure. So there's no real method, um, but it is useful if uh, numerous journalists write on the same thing and the spirits of the facts are the same. That's really helpful. I think, I think the thing is, um, if it's only, if, if it's really to be found on the application for the assistance, um, it complete, it, it, it may be, seem to be a relatively small thing, but it completely undermines the sense of goodwill. It's, it's, th- there's a deliberate uh, nastiness in it that I think would undo any, or much of the goodwill that the government would hope to get out of you know, a good crisis. I'm afraid so. So it does appear that that application process has been refuted by Ebrin Patel, breaking news, just by the way. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. But at the time of recording my video, which was very early this morning, morning. 
I just said, this is a website, go to it. You'll see all these categories that you have to input to get funding. So it appears that BE is still in force, even in a crisis. So at the time it was correct. Now it may be incorrect, but I'll make a correction later today. The proof of the pudding will be in those who apply. Indeed. So, so I have asked people to apply and see what the responses are and what the criteria are, but uh, I'm still waiting on those. But yes, a morning shot is really, I try my best, but I will get things wrong. And hopefully if I do get things wrong, uh, I will let you know about it. First, I need to know it's wrong. And second of all, I will get <laughs> information. It's not easy uh, to see the amount of media we actually have in this country and same set of facts, but a variety of different opinions stem from it. It's actually quite difficult to get to the real nub of the facts. Um, no, I agree. And uh, Roman, maybe in the last minute that we have with you, um, two questions from me. Number one, how? what should we be looking out for going forward? Um, any format changes, anything new? You'll add to that, and of course, please end off by letting us know how we can actually find you on. All right, so for Morning Shot, I will keep it between 5 and 10 minutes, uh, five days a week at 7 a.m. Every weekday, a new video is live. That is the best format, because I want people to consume it in the same time they consume a cup of coffee, hence the name, you know, Morning mm-hmm. Shot. Uh, going forward, I do plan to do a few live streams for Morning Shot at night, so when I edit my videos, I can have a live stream with people who view the videos, and we can discuss the events of the day, or they can pose any riddle, any question to me. But the easiest way to find me is to go on YouTube, type in The Morning Shot, and you'll see a little espresso cup with some coffee in it. And uh, and just subscribe to that channel. Uh, I do appreciate it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, thank you very much to Ramon Kabanek, and uh, all the best with The Morning Shot. After the break, Sarah Khan and I, we wrap up what you should be paying attention to in the news cycle. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Guys, welcome back to the Hi FM IRR show um, with me, Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Khan. Sarah, the news week ahead, surely it must, it'll continue to dominate the coronavirus that is, will continue to dominate the headline. It, it will, and of course, part of the sort of macabre, interesting thing will be to see how our infection rates rise and whether they do suddenly spike, which is really what the infection, what uh, Corona is all about. And we'll be watching how the government does or doesn't do things, how things succeed or don't succeed, and largely also about just people getting used to the fact of being quarantined. I mean, boy, this is the da- this is the time to drive on the highways without the taxis, uh, I would say. But there's one little issue that's just occurred that may have consequences, I don't know if immediately, but is that uh, the town of Mosimba uh, de Praia in Mozambique, in the northern province, was has essentially been taken over by a jihadist group of insurgents who have overwhelmed, who've taken over the town, overwhelmed the army, etc. And the, the scary thing about this particular group or this particular area is that it's a port that feeds the nascent gas fields that are supposed to or hope to bring Mozambique out of, um, out of, out of poverty. So this could be very problematic for the region and particularly for that particular part of southern Africa. Yeah, that, that's particularly concerning um, because if it is the case, it does echo... Perhaps what 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 happens in the uh, the Nigerian Delta, mm-hmm. um, the oil mm-hmm. Delta, 
where you know you have a lot of private investments in that part of the world that extracts the oil and uh, by the sounds of it for the Mozambican case you know extracts the gas um, but then you have these local rebel groups and uh, some which are actually driven by Islamic terrorism, um, which seek to disrupt that. So, yeah, we, we should watch that one. Um, mm-hmm. And on that maybe it, note... It's sort of sneak under, yeah. Absolutely. And I was just saying, maybe on that note, um, guys, thank you so much for listening to the IRR show. We are so happy to be with you guys every week. Thank you, Hashem, for having us on um, and keeping us healthy, especially in light of this coronavirus. Please do take care. Um, follow all the rules, guys. Social distancing, great hygiene. You know what it is. And from Big Dad Liberty and Sarah Gond, guys, thank you so much. We'll see you next week.